People go, how can you listen to problems all day long? That's quite frankly not what I do. I get people better. I get their brains better, their minds better, their relationships better. What are your thoughts about Tom Cruise's assessment on medicine not being the solution to helping people's psychological issues? I think how psychiatry is currently practiced is just a scandal and it's a mess. 85% of psychiatric drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians in 10-minute office visits. Is it true that the brain's a muscle that the more you work it, the stronger it gets, or that's just a myth? Ultimately, it's responsible for your success. Relationships, work, money, joy, happiness. The epidemic of teenage suicide is being driven by social media as girls constantly compare themselves in a negative way. Then you struggle more with anxiety, depression, trauma, or grief. My guest today is an expert in an area many of us need help with, specifically your interviewer, myself, yours truly. He's a 13-time New York Times bestseller. Uh, he has scanned 175,000 brains that he has access to, his facility that he runs from 155 different countries. He's a double-board certified child and uh, adult psychiatrist and many other things I can say about this man on the great work he's done. He's got tens of millions of views on YouTube in the area of expertise, brains. With that being said, my guest today, Dr. Daniel Amen. Doc, thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Well, thank you so much for having me and helping me spread the word about brain health. One of the things I like the fact that is our interview that we started on time and we had no technical difficulties. So I love the fact that you know, it allows us to have more time together. So I appreciate your patience while we were going through the madness with Zoom earlier, but good to have you on. Um, you know, you, you hear stories and you'll say, you know, you watch a kid and you say, why'd you end up becoming a cop? My dad was a cop. Why did you end up going in the military and serving 20 years and becoming an officer? Like when I talked to General McChrystal, well, because my dad was a general, my grandpa was an, you know, and uh, Colonel and this one, okay, got it. That makes sense. There's a lineage. You want to go out there and follow the footsteps. Yes. Why did you want to be a brain surgeon with your, with your background? How did it lead to you doing what you're doing today? Um, well, actually, I was the first one in my family to graduate from college. So I am the son. My grandparents immigrated from the Middle East. And my dad, clearly smart enough to go to college, but just worked like crazy from the time he was 12. And uh, when I was 18, uh, Vietnam was still going on and I became an infantry medic. That's where my love of medicine was born. But about a year into it, I realized I didn't really like being shot at. It wasn't my thing. Some people like it. <laughs> For me, I'm like, no, people could get hurt out here. And I became uh, an x-ray technician and developed a passion for medical imaging, as our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? And then I got out of the army and went to medical school. And when I was a second year medical student, someone I loved tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, it wouldn't just help her, that ultimately it would help her children and even her grandchildren as they would be shaped by someone who is happier and more stable. So in 1979, I fell in love with psychiatry because I realized it could change generations of people. 
but I fell in love with the only medical specialty that virtually never looks at the organ it treats. And I knew it was wrong and I knew it would change. I just had no idea I'd be part of the change. And in the late 1980s, I was an army psychiatrist. I trained at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center, Washington, DC. In the late 1980s, I started looking at the brain and it just changed everything I do. Uh, you know, I don't really think of myself as a psychiatrist. I think of myself as a brain health specialist, a clinical neuroscientist, where my whole job is to get your brain right. And I wanna make brain health cool because quite frankly, nobody really wants to see a psychiatrist. When I told my dad I wanted to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, why I wanted <laughs> to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. So my dad never got father of the year award, um, even though he was a good guy, but he just didn't, you know. Did he have a sense of humor? Like, was he being sarcastic or he was being really like serious with you? Like, why oh, are you no, being- he was dead serious. He was, he was dead mad serious. at me. You know, what am I going to tell my friend? Yeah. Son's a shrink. And, you know, he hangs out with nuts all day long. And even though that hurt my feelings, I totally get where he was coming yeah. from. Because most psychiatrists don't act like real doctors. Um, they don't look at the organ they treat. And when I started looking, it just changed my whole life in such a good way. So did your patients ever make you go nuts or no? <laughs> well, I've treated, it came public last year that Justin Bieber has been one of my patients and that was close. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we've taken care of some just wonderful but complicated people. And, you know, people go, how can you listen to problems all day long? And that's quite frankly, not what I do. I get people better. I get their brains better, their minds better, their relationships better, their spiritual selves better, which is sort of an odd thing to say for a psychiatrist. But when you get, when you help people get better, it's thrilling, it's exciting. I have loved it every day for 40 years. You know, the only reason I ask that question is because I have friends who are detectives or cops or, you know, divorce attorneys or DEA agents and you know, I was former military, so you got Delta and all these guys, and you, you're taught to be a little bit paranoid, you know? So when they come home, it kind of bleeds into their marital life. You know, what were you doing? What's going on? Who's this on? Yeah, they're very extra paranoid. So when you're a psychiatrist and you hear a lot of people's issues, it, it literally filters out of you. Nothing sticks where you kind of catch yourself when you come home at night. You're irritated, you're upset, you're frustrated, or kind of reacting to a patient's conversation you had earlier. Not really. I mean, you know, I help them manage their minds. And in the process, whenever you help someone do something, you tend to be better at it yourself. I agree. And, um, and I work with my wife. So we have done over a thousand Brain Warriors Way podcasts. We just finished filming our fourth national public television special. She's my best friend. I mean, you know, we had to figure out how to work together, but we had someone, a consultant once said, look at him like you love him. <laughs> that just helps so much. And so we're always thinking about how to have better minds and better brains and it leaks 
over to the kids. Very. And how long you guys been together? 15 years. 15 years. Very cool. So, okay. So let's put that part aside. Let's go to the next part of it here. Um, you know, I, I like bodybuilding. I follow a lot of athletes, a lot of bodybuilders. We've had a lot of bodybuilders we've interviewed here. And, you know, when somebody builds their biceps, you can see it. When somebody builds their chest, you can see it. When somebody works on their abs, you can see it. There's a, you know, visible, you kind of look at it and say, look, you look good. Your abs look good. You know, your traps look good. You know, you hear the saying, a brain is a muscle. You know, your brain's like a muscle. The more you feed it, the more, you know, it could get this. You know, the more you read, the more you learn. Is it true that the brain's a muscle that the more you work it, the stronger it gets? Or that's just a myth? The more you use it, the more you can use it. So the brain is very much a use it or lose it organ. That when you learn something new, your brain makes a new connection. When you stop learning, um, your brain actually starts to disconnect itself and makes it harder for you to learn. That's why adults, when they go back to college the first semester or two, they're really struggling because they're not used to it. But over time, um, you have this great part of your brain called the hippocampus. It's on the inside of your temporal lobes and it's Greek for seahorse because it's shaped like a seahorse. And every day you make new stem cells in the hippocampus. So I just think of it like every day you're making 700 new baby seahorses and your habits are either growing them or murdering them. I had a fun conversation with Miley Cyrus um, who came out last year as one of my patients and she, she was smoking pot and drinking and not doing the right things. And I told her about the baby seahorses and she goes, that's so unfair. You know, I'm an animal lover and I've never <laughs> wanted to do it. <laughs> and she's just doing such a better job of taking care of her seahorses. Um, and there are things we do every day that either grow our brains or shrivel our brains. And because most people never look at the brain, most people never care. And that's what we need to make cool, caring about your brain, because ultimately it's responsible for your success, relationships, work, money, joy, happiness. There's an organ called the brain that is responsible for all of that. Can you unpack that? Well, when your brain works right, you work right. Your brain is the organ of decision-making. And I argue your level of success in life is basically a sum of all the decisions that you've made. And when your brain is healthy, you're more thoughtful. You have better control over your impulses. You're more organized. You are better at planning and then acting in ways consistent with your goals. And uh, most people are never thinking, you know, that if I drink too much alcohol or smoke pot or eat bad food, that it's actually gonna negatively impact the moment by moment decisions that I make. This is really important stuff. 
that when your brain works right, you work right. And when it's troubled, for whatever reason, you played football in high school like I did, or you hit soccer balls with your head, or you were in that Jeep accident when you were in the military, um, damage the brain, damage your decisions, damage your life. So does it mean Elon Musk's brain looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his 20s? <laughs> That's a great analogy that, uh, you know, he's so smart and has learned so many diverse things. And that's what's really good for the brain. It's not doing the same thing over and over again. It's this having this level of diversity that means his brain is likely very unique and working hard. Uh, who is, have you, like, uh, I'm curious right now, when you scan a brain, I mean, you got 170,000 of them. When you scan a brain, can you tell apart a brain of someone who has got a high IQ genius, a great decision maker versus somebody that hasn't put it to use a lot and doesn't read a lot? It's just kind of, you know, living a regular life. Can you see it through a scan or that's not something you can see through a scan? Well, we can clearly see how healthy your brain is. The healthier it is, the brighter you are generally. We can see tendencies in the brain. Are you spontaneous, which means you don't like waiting in line and you're very creative, but you can't focus unless you're super interested? Are you persistent? Um, it's sort of another way of calling someone a jerk. It's they're worried, <laughs> rigid, inflexible. If things don't go their way, they get upset, argumentative, oppositional. Um, we can tell if they're more sensitive, more tendency to be empathic, um, or more cautious, where they tend to be more anxious. So the scans give us a lot of information. So basically, is it healthy? Is it sleepy? Does it tend to work too hard? Has it been hurt? Like traumatic brain injury, David, like a major cause of psychiatric problems. And nobody knows about it because most psychiatrists never look at the brain. Um, we can tell if you've had toxic exposure. I have dozens now of COVID-19 brains. And it's very interesting when it impacts your brain. It doesn't always, but when it does, it tends to fire up your emotional brain. So the dragons that I write about in my new book, Your Brain is Always Listening, um, it tends to fire them up and you struggle more with anxiety, depression, trauma, or grief. So, okay. So that's, uh, that's interesting because I'm assuming if you went through the school that you went through to become a psychiatrist and you've scanned 170,000, did you, when you were going through school, have a chance to see the scan of an Einstein? Like, did they have a scan of some of the smartest people in the world for you to say, look at Einstein's brain here? Was, was there any kind of, you know, classes you took where you were able to see the scan of some of the most genius brains of all time? Genius minds of all time? Well, I've certainly been able to do that. I mean, we've scanned incredible athletes, Hall of Fame athletes, and we've scanned Pulitzer Prize winning writers uh, and the interesting commonality is their cerebellum works really well. Cerebellum's in the back bottom part of the brain. It's Latin for little brain. And it's what I think of almost as the central processing unit 
in the brain has half the brain's neurons, even though it's only 10% of the brain's volume, that when your cerebellum is healthy, you process faster, which means you generally think faster. So did you, did you guys get a chance to look at the scans of some of the brightest brains? Were you able to kind of look at it and see any similarities or no? I'm talking people in the past, you know, Einstein's, folks yeah, like that. Einstein actually had a little bit smaller brain than by weight. But his parietal lobes, top back part of the brain, one of the association areas in the brain, um, was had more cells there. It was pretty interesting. Um, but but as a rule, that's not why people come to see me. Okay, that, no, I, I understand. I'm just curious when you. I'm, I'm trying to see a trend with 175,000 scans. If you see anything there, so uh, we are living in a pretty vain era. Yeah, I lived in LA for 24 years and cosmetic surgery was just something that everybody was doing. I went to Dallas and Dallas is uh, Highland Park is, listen, if you want to do anything cosmetic, it's a great place to be. I'm in Boca now and, you know, Boca, you walk around, you know, everybody's got a, some kind of cosmetic surgery they've done. Is there any kind of uh, surgeries that can be done to make somebody sharper, you know, uh, 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 better processor, better decision maker? Is there anything to be done with that? Well, there's a lot of things to do, not surgery. Um, okay. You know, and they did prefrontal lobotomies to try and treat mental illness. It didn't turn out really well. Um, they are doing some specific, highly targeted psychosurgeries. For example, if you have OCD or you have Tourette syndrome, um, you want to be smarter, you want a healthier, prettier brain. And I love your analogy. You know, I live in Newport Beach where there's more plastic surgeons per capita than almost any place in the world. And I often say we care more about our faces, our boobs, our bellies, and our butts than we do our brain, which is sort of insane. And when I started looking at the brain, I'm like, okay, how do you make it better? So diet, exercise, that helps certain nutraceuticals, like I'm a huge fan of ginkgo, the prettiest brains I've ever seen take ginkgo. Ginkgo increases blood flow to the brain. I'm a huge fan of the Persian spice, saffron. Saffron has been shown in 21 randomized controlled trials to be as effective as antidepressant medication. Wow, saffron, wow. I take saffron every day. And there's another treatment I like a lot called hyperbaric oxygen therapy, where you go into a hyperbaric chamber. It's been shown to increase stem cell production. So those baby seahorses and increase blood flow to the brain. I did the big NFL study, sort of when the NFL was not telling the truth about mm -hmm. traumatic brain injury yep. in football. And like, let's stop lying about this. This is a brain damaging sport. Um, but 80% of my players get better when we put them on a rehabilitation program, multiple vitamin, fish oil, a brain boost I created, and many of them also hyperbaric oxygen therapy. When you do that, when you put the brain in a healing environment, it can be prettier, can be healthier, which means you're happier and you make better decisions. 
So cosmetic surgery or surgery period to make somebody become a better processor, better decision maker, we're not there yet. But certain, you know, dietary supplements or approach can help you become a better processor and a better decision maker. Okay. Um, outside of dietary, you know, in bodybuilding, they say it's cardio. They say it's weightlifting, proper weightlifting. You got diet. And then you got, as you get older, stretching to make your muscle more, you know, uh, 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 full makes it look better. If you got some, you see a lot of bodybuilders go end up taking ballet and gymnastics because the body comes out a lot nicer. What, what is a good combination you would say to make someone's brain sharper? So, so many of those things, and cause the stronger you are, as you age, the less likely you are to get Alzheimer's disease. Um, cardio is important. I tell people walk like you're late, that it's easier on your joints and people who walk like they're late 45 minutes, four to five times a week have a lower incidence of cognitive problems and depression. And so if you're 80 years old and you can walk three miles an hour, you have a 90% chance of living till you're 90. If you can only walk a mile an hour, you have a 90% chance you are not going to live until wow. 90. So exercise, diet is so important. Your brain is only 2% of your body's weight, about three pounds. It uses 20 to 30% of the calories you consume. Think about that. So it is the Beverly Hills, if you will. It's the most expensive real estate in your body. And if you have a fast food diet, you're gonna have a fast food mind. You're more likely to be depressed and demented. Interesting. So diet is critical. There is a linear correlation between the number of fruits and vegetables you eat a day and your level of happiness up to eight. So eight should be the target for everyone. Um, and then nutrients, I think are really important. I think everybody should take a multiple vitamin. Everybody should take an omega-3 fatty acid fish oil supplement. 97% of the population is low in omega-3 fatty acids, critical for getting your brain to connect right and to think right. And then new learning needs to be part of everything you do because when you work your brain, you, it makes new connections and don't be overweight, right? If I had to say one thing, if you say, hey, Daniel, what's the one thing? Um, in my books, I talk about bright minds, which is the mnemonic I created to keep your brain healthy. You wanna keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place. You have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind and the mnemonic is bright mind. So B is for blood flow, R is retirement and aging. The D is diabetes. If you are overweight or have high blood sugar, shrinks your brain. But being overweight, actually, if you're overweight, you have five of the 11 risk factors because the fat on your belly, so that's one risk factor, decreases blood flow. I published a study last year on 35,000 scans that showed as your weight went up, the function of your brain went 
down. What, what is the correlation between the two? Is it energy? Like I'm just too tired to want to process and go extend five more minutes to make a better decision. What is the link? So lowers blood flow to your brain. It increases inflammation. Uh, because the fat cells produce something called inflammatory cytokines that damage your brain. It takes healthy testosterone and turns it into unhealthy cancer-promoting forms of estrogen, um, and it stores toxins. And so it does all of these bad things, which means you really should have an idea of how many calories you eat a day. I think of calories like money and we want to be a value spender. Um, and then the quality of your calories actually matters more than the number itself. Um, but there's this fascinating study from the Mayo Clinic where they looked at people who had a fat-based diet, avocados, nuts and seeds, healthy oils, healthy fish, 42% less risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. And they compared them to people at a carbohydrate-based diet, simple carbohydrate-based diet, bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, fruit juice, sugar, a 400% increased risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. It's the sugar. Now I'm a fan of carbs, just not the ones that quickly turn to sugar. Simple carbs like bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, and sugar. So, so the follow-up on this would be how much of it has to do with what I see, what I hear. So what I see, what I hear, what I speak, meaning uh, I listen to music. Is it is certain kind of music strengthening my brain because I have to listen to the words and I have to process what's being said? It you know, uh, gets my creative juice flowing? Is it watching? If I watch a exorcist, a movie messes with my head versus watching something that's getting me to think about the decision making? Is it video games? There are a lot of people right now that are saying certain games make you smarter. Is it teaching? If I speak to an audience and I'm having a debate and a dialogue, is that making me a better processor, a sharper mind? What would you say those four behaviors have to do with us becoming sharper? Well, in my new book, Your Brain is Always Listening, that's sort of the point of the whole book. Your brain is always listening. It's listening to the dragons from the past. Those are the big emotional issues people struggle with, like grief and loss or wounded dragons. Uh, it's the they, them, and other dragons. You're always listening to the other people, alive and dead. Like, I always have my dad's voice in my head, even though he died a year ago. Um, it's the sibling and birth order dragons. I don't know how many siblings you have. I have seven. I come from a good Lebanese Catholic family. Respect. And I have five sisters. So your birth order really does matter. You're sort of always listening. Are you special or are you not special? Um, your brain is always listening to your habits. Uh, there's a whole section on bad habit dragons, uh, like people who say, yes, 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 uh, when they should say, I have to think about it, or you know the other people, like my dad, no, no, no. It's like the first response is no, they don't even think about it. Um, there's the addicted dragon. So whatever you allow your brain to do, if it's rewarding, it's gonna do it again. 
which is why porn can be a problem. It's why um, caffeine and nicotine and alcohol and marijuana can be habit forming because your brain's always listening. It's like, oh, I got rewarded for that. Let me do that again. Um, and it's listening to the scheming dragons, which is the digital dragons. You know, the um, Netflix documentary. Social, Social Dilemma. Dilemma was so good yeah. and so disturbing because these- Did you agree with it? Were you, were you in agreement with it? Absolutely. Okay. And I've seen it, that they're changing our brains to make money for their advertisers, that they're finding what hooks us and feeding it to us over and over again. I'm very worried about it because the epidemic of teenage suicide, I believe is being driven by social media as girls constantly compare themselves in a negative way to the social influencers that are struggling just like they are. I know I've treated many of them. And so your brain is always listening to um, the food pushers, the toxin pushers. It's always listening to the news mongers where the news is actually not the news anymore. They pick whatever thing is gonna get you upset and then they play it over and over again. And people who start their day with the news are 27% less happy as the day goes on. I actually have an app called the Good News Network. And that's how I start my day. I, it, it's always, there's something fun. I have an old friend that wanted to start a company called GNN. So you did it, Good News Network. I like well, it, I not CNN, it. but GNN. I log on every morning. I love it. I love it. Very cool. So uh, uh, books, uh, books uh, are there books that don't do nothing to your brain where it's wasted? Like if I read, uh, I don't know, if I read... Uh, um, 50 Shades of Grey versus Psycho-Cybernetics, okay? You know, and I'm sure you know both of them. With Maxwell Mall, you know, being in your world, you probably read Psycho-Cybernetics. Is there, is there books that I feed my mind that's tapping into a certain muscle or it's just period? You're tapping into muscle the more you read and the more you feed your imagination mind. I think what you read really matters. If you're reading a lot of horror stuff just to keep you up and get excited, that's gonna wear out the pleasure centers in your brain. I mean, you should read for pleasure, um, like um, Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. It's one of my favorite all-time books or The Da Vinci Code because it entertains you and educates you at the same time. And we need our Great brain book. to go offline yeah. uh, so that you're not always working. Um, but at the same time, if you're feeding it garbage, um, it's not good for it. You can actually wear out the pleasure centers in your brain by what you allow your brain to do. What, what does that mean? So in your brain, you have this area called the nucleus accumbens. And it's really important because it responds to the neurotransmitter dopamine. And dopamine helps you focus makes you happy, drives motivation. And, but if you dump dopamine, you engage in behaviors that cause too much of it to be released, think cocaine or compulsive gambling or porn or 
incredibly delicious desserts, you know, high fat, high sugar desserts. It dumps dopamine over time. If you do it too much or too often, it wears out the nucleus accumbens, and then it takes more and more to feel anything at all, which is why for my young superstars, my prayer for them is, dear God, please don't let me be famous before my brain is finished developing, mm. which is not until 25 or 26. And so you see these young superstars like Miley and uh, Justin yeah. severe drug abuse. And it wasn't drug abuse to feel high. It was drug abuse to chase feeling normal. And Wait, drug abuse, not even to escape. Drug abuse to chase feeling normal. Right, because their pleasure centers had been damaged by the fame. So the more famous you are, initially it's awesome, it's unbelievable, it's great when people cheer for you, but dopamine is really the molecule of more. It's a trap because whenever you get some and it makes you happy, it's not enough. And you're gonna want more and more to get the same reaction. So I've had 12 New York Times bestsellers. And one of them was a bestseller for 40 weeks. I mean, it was pretty cool. Change your brain, change your life. But if the next one's only a bestseller for 12 weeks, which is sort of a historic accomplishment, it's like, well, it's not good enough. And so you really have to do work on your mind to not let success steal your happiness. When they ask people who are wealthy, what would it take? So people had $5 million, $10 million, $100 million. What would it take for you to be perfectly happy? They all said two to three times more, which is sort of ridiculous, right? I mean, at some point, there's no correlation between money and happiness over $75,000, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, that we need to really work on our minds as much as we're working on our businesses. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with, I mean, you've got fame and you, you know, 175,000 scans. These are data. These are bragging rights, right? 13 times, 12 times New York times bestseller, 40 weeks on the charts. How do you deal with it yourself to not become a fiend for more of it? Or is there anything wrong with that? Because if, you, I think you said somewhere you like enjoying watching football. I think you said you like enjoying watching football. So I don't know if you are you a sports fan yourself? Are you a guy who huge? I'm a Los Angeles Lakers fan. Okay, you and I both. I'm a diehard Laker fan as well. I'm interviewed Kobe. We've had Kobe at our event last year with President Bush, the late Kobe Bryant. And from the day I came to LA, I was a Laker fan. So what do we do with the people we admire so much who are all about the more six championships, Jordan, back to back to back, did it twice. You know, Kobe got five of them. And after Shaq got his fourth before Kobe got his fourth and they had a song about him. So Kobe got pissed off when he got his fifth. I said in the interview, he says, I think five is more than four. Please let me make sure Shaq knows this. So is that a bad thing that there is this competitive juice that produces into us to say, damn it, I want one more than this other guy named Shaq. I want to get five. You know what? I'm Tom Brady. Everybody says that guy's the MJ of doctors. That guy's the MJ of psychiatrists. I want people to say that guy's the Brady of psychiatrists. That guy's the Brady of whatever. 
What's wrong with wanting to compete and do more? Well, because it's a trap that it's constantly going to make you unhappy. Now, I want to be the best I can be. And I want my books to be the best they can be. But whenever I argue against reality, welcome to hell. And it's just so important. It's really worth writing down is I need to be happy with the best I can do. I want to be the best. But if it doesn't work like I hope that season, I don't win the championship. I'm not shooting myself. I'm just going to go. Of course. What can I do better and live in the moment? Because it's not the destination that makes anybody happy because the destination is death. (laughs) It's one of the dragons, the death dragon. It's what I start every day with today is going to be a great day. And I end every day with what went well today. I put myself to bed with that exercise. And I even look for the smallest moments, the micro moments on, you know, what's the smallest thing that happened? You know, I live in Newport Beach and I can see the water from my house. The sunset last night was spectacular. Wow! And and I see those, you know, maybe 150 nights a year, but to just take time to appreciate it or my assistant made me this banana, fresh banana, um, strawberry tea, and it just tastes awesome. So it's really noticing the micro moments. And, you know, I've done big things in my life, but it's really the little things that make me happy. And if I can celebrate being part of someone else's success, then it's not all about me. When it's all about me, I'm not happy. When it's about us, and that's why, you know, I dearly wish I could have had Kobe and Shaq together because they could have won three or four more championships if they didn't have the psychological nonsense between them. I'm surprised Phil wasn't able to fix that because he was a psychological guy. He was, in another life, he could have been a psychiatrist, a hippie psychiatrist, but the guy was an expert in personalities. No, the only reason I say this is because When I was coming up as a young kid, as a young guy in business, I was 21 years old. I just got out of the army and I was conflicted. I was going in the direction, you know, just a rebel. So I stopped. I met an old friend of mine. We started going to Bible study together on Fridays and we'd stay up till two o'clock in the morning. I started reading. I know you did some stuff with Rick Warren. And I said, you know, I don't know. You know, I went to like 27 churches. I went everywhere. I went to Scientology. I went to LDS. I went to Jehovah. I went to Seven Day. I went to, if I could find a religion, I went to it, right? And you'd you'd hear, well, you know, competition's not good. And, you know, you got to be careful with this and all this other stuff. I'm like, okay. And then a lot of these folks who were saying it were at the same time, some of the most successful pastors in the world. I'm like, wait a minute. You're running a church massive. You, you, you in sports would have been one of the most ridiculous competitors. Look how much good you've done in the world. I consider Rick Warren very competitive. The guy's book sold 40 million copies, 50 million copies, and he was able to make a big impact. So the only reason I say that is because sometimes younger generation, when they hear that message, they devalue that additional effort to put in to find out what their best version looks like. So that's the only reason I brought it up because 
someone like you with the amount of accomplishments you had, what if you would have stopped 20 years ago? I wouldn't People have, wouldn't have had you in your life. Miley wouldn't have had you in their lives. I wouldn't have been happy because I love what I do. And I've had people try to buy Amen Clinics. And, you know, I'd get a lot of money and they, I would be working for them. I'm like, no, I wouldn't be happy with that. It's not money that, for me at least, and, and Pastor Warren says, money is only something you borrow. Because as soon as you're dead, it's somebody else's. And so when you think of it like that, it's the lives change. But, but the Bible, at least for me, doesn't go against success. The verse, the parable I hold on to is the parable of the talents that the master gave. So we just talked about it today. You know, three different people, three different yep. levels of investment. And the master got mad when the one person buried his investment out of fear. And I feel like I've been given certain gifts and part of it, I've worked really hard, but, but I have certain gifts like how to make complex information accessible and easy to understand. And I'm expected to do something with what I have been given. And it's not just about me, it's about we, the whole love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to be a very good lover if you don't like yourself. So um, yeah, I feel incredibly blessed because I spend a lot of time working in the meaning and purpose circle. You know, I always think of people in four big circles. What's the biology? What's the psychology? What's the social circle? And what's the spiritual circle, which it sounds like you've spent time working there as well. It's so why do I care? Why am I on the planet? What is my sense of meaning and purpose? And I need with my patients to always work in those four circles. Let's get your brain right, your mind right. Don't believe every stupid thing you think. Tame the dragons. Relationships, right? And I'm blessed because I'm married to my best friend. I was married for 20 years to someone who didn't really like me very much. And it was just chronic unhappiness and conflict. That was chronically stressful for me. And now that I'm in the right relationship, it brings so much joy. And so I often think, am I in a good relationship with my wife? Am I in a good relationship with food? I only wanna love food that loves me back. Am I a good relationship with work? Am I doing things that have meaning and purpose, but yet still can support my family? I, I love that. And we're on the same page. You said July 17th, right? You said July 17th or? July 19th. July 19th. Got it. I love that. You know, Rick Warren's book, I think, came out in 0203. I mean, when I read it, I didn't read it in 40 days. I read it in two days. It changed my life when I read Rick Warren's book. I needed to read a book like that at that time. And, uh, 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 what, uh, what was uh, Billy Graham had an event November 17th. It was four days. He came to talk at in 2003 at uh, the Rose Bowl. And I said, if he's speaking, I'm speaking. I went Wednesday. I went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, half a day and a Sunday all day. And Pastor Rick Warren was one of the guys that gave a message there. I'm like, you know, uh, uh, it was seeing a guy that 
baptize 210 million people. You have to be a big thinker to be able to baptize. To, to go to Korea and you speak one and a half million people show up, and that's what he did. I mean, that's just out of control impact, positive impact being made in the, in the world. But let me wrap up with this before we finish up here. I want to talk to you about Tom Cruise's sit down with Matt Lauer. I'm, I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. When he and Matt had a conversation together, let me pull this up. I know I'm getting the Zoom thing a little bit mixed up here. Okay, we got it back here. Um, have you seen that interview between the two of them? I'm almost certain you have. About how he knows about psychiatry and yeah, he's uh, a Scientologist and the founder of Scientology, Ron L. Hubbard, um, was very psychologically minded and the psychiatric community rejected him and, and they've rejected me in large part. So I sort of get how that feels. Um, and they've sort of been at war with each other. You know, Scientologists will rent huge semi-vans and on the side of them go, psychiatry kills children. And I'm like, that sort of hurt my feelings because uh, I help children. But, um, you know, whenever you have a position on anything, somebody's gonna hate you. And you just have to be clear within yourself on what you know is right and stay with it. And I want, I want to read it to you. I want to read it to you because I want to see, I, I think there's some, some alignment between the two of you guys, but I'm just curious to, and I'll, I'll read you two parts of it. So the whole thing was about the story with, I think Brooke Shields, right? And she says, uh, you know, uh, uh, I've never agreed with psychi psychiatry ever before I was a Scientologist. I never agreed with psychiatry. Okay. So that's, that's kind of your space. What he's saying, Matt Lauer comes back and says, but if there's a particular thing that makes her feel better, uh, whether it was antidepressants or going to a counselor or psychiatrist, isn't that enough? He says, Matt, you have to understand this. Here we are today where I talk against drugs and psychiatric abuses of electric shocking people against their will of drugging children with them, not knowing the effects of these drugs. Do you know what Adderall is? Do you know what Ritalin is? Do you know that Ritalin is a street drug. Do you understand that? And then they go back and forth and it gets pretty heated, et cetera, et cetera. And later on, obviously I'd show the video to you, but we can't because it's footage. But what happens, the antidepressants, all it does is mask the problem. There's ways of vitamins and through exercise and various things. I'm not saying that this isn't real. That's not what I'm saying. That is an alteration of what I am saying. So he goes on talking about, I'm just against drugs. You know, we're living in a time today where I would be categorically, if I was a 12-year-old kid, man, I, my teacher, Mr. Woods, is teaching math. If I saw a butterfly there, I'm following the butterfly. And I'm like, in a whole, and then I see the swimming pool. Then I see a tree that's yellow. I would say, why is that yellow? Why are the other ones green? Where, where's that cat going? And I'm lost. I'm going to a whole different place. They would have put me on so much medication if it was school today. So what are your thoughts about the approach we're taking with kids where they'll first say, you know, I want to meet with the parents. I got three kids. I want to meet with the parents. And then they meet with you. And then they say, you know, I'm not saying your kids has this, but I think it's good you go see this doctor here. And they may make some recommendations because he's a little bit different than others. And she's a little bit different. Than, and, you know, who knows? Maybe medicine may be the solution. So what are your thoughts about Tom Cruise's assessment on medicine not being the solution to helping people's psychological issues? I think how psychiatry is currently practiced is just 
a scandal and it's a mess. Um, 85% of psychiatric drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians in 10-minute office visits. There are so many other avenues to have a better brain and a better life. Yet, if those things don't work for your depression, please give me an antidepressant targeted to my brain. I mean, first look at my brain. So medicine is not the enemy. Medicine is not of the devil. I've seen Ritalin take um, children from D's and F's, days and B's, one of my daughters who, and I missed it until she was in 10th grade. And I'm one of the world experts on ADD. And when I scanned her because she just kept having problems, she had a really sleepy brain. And the next day on Ritalin, it normalized it. And she went from B's and C's working her brains out to straight A's for 10 years and got into the world's best veterinarian school at the University of uh, Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, there's no way that would have happened if I wouldn't have balanced her brain. Now, my first thought is, well, let's get their diet right. And then let's see, let's use nutrients, natural supplements, and then let's see. If it's a family problem, let's get everybody's brain and the family mm -hmm. better. And then let's see, but let's not throw out medicine. I mean, what other branch of medicine would go, okay, can't use medicine. If you use medicine, you're a bad person. That's ridiculous. You know, medicine is there as a tool to help, right? For every diabetic, please get your diet right. Let's do that first. But if you don't, I need to put you on insulin or you're gonna die. If you don't treat bipolar disorder, if you don't treat depression, and sometimes patients do what you want them to do. Like I saw someone yesterday, she's like, I'm all in, I'm gonna do everything you say. Well, odds are she will not need medicine or will need less medicine. Other people, they don't have the mental discipline to do it or the motivation to do it. And for me, I think of it as informed consent. You know, my job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to give you the options and you choose. That's what good doctors do. They don't tell you what to do. They teach you what's going on and then they give you options. And then you decide, and then I get to supervise whatever you decide as long as it's reasonable. Interesting. Um... You know, uh, uh, do you see a, do you see a, a uh, uh, I mean, a lot of studies comes out and you see the level of addiction to some of these drugs. How do we manage that from happening? If there was a way to improve some of the addiction to these drugs, you're somebody that's been in this for quite a long time. What would your suggestion be? Well, I would want to know why they're using the drug and the hysteria around stimulants like Adderall and Ritalin. Um, my biggest problem with teenagers who I think need to take them is they don't take them, is they skip them, they miss them. It's not that they take more and more to get the same result. That's what addicts do. It's when you dial it in right, they work. The problem is, is we think of ADD as one thing. Oh, you have ADD, take Ritalin. I wrote a book about this called Healing ADD where based on our brain imaging work, it's seven different things. Please don't give everybody Ritalin because some people like my daughter, it helped dramatically. Other people, it makes them suicidal. 
And whenever you use one treatment fits everybody, right? It'd sort of be like you have chest pain, let's give everybody nitroglycerin. Well, that would be ridiculous because there's a hundred different causes of chest pain. And you know, you may have been distracted because you were super smart and you had all these other ideas come into your head. Well, you may be distracted because you were in a car accident when you were four years old and it hurts your frontal lobes. We, we just need to look at what we do before we do it. Uh, Doc, for the folks who are in business who are under a lot of stress, what, what is a headache on this side, headache on this side, headache on this side, headache on this side? When you say my head hurts, is there a difference or it's all a headache? Well, no, it's just like with ADD. There's 10 different kinds of headaches. There's stress headaches, there's migraine headaches, there's cluster headaches. We need to know there's gluten headaches and dairy headaches. You know, are you sensitive to something you're consuming? Um, my body's very sensitive to dairy. If, if I just completely avoid it, my GI tract is very happy. Uh, is there red meat headaches? Um, no, but there are bacon headaches and they're nitrite, uh, nitrate headaches. Got it. Um, so before we finalize, if you, uh, 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 before we wrap up, if you don't mind taking a minute and telling us about your new book, that's coming out, your brain is always listening. What could you tell us about this book here? And obviously the pressure zone, we got to make sure it's 41 weeks. Uh, 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 on New York Times, but tell us about your latest book that just came out today. Well, I'm super excited. Your brain is always listening. It's about all the influences that are going after your brain moment by moment and how you can tame them. Um, the subtitle is Tame the Hidden Dragons that Control Your Happiness, Your Habits, and Your Hangups. And I talk about the dragons from the past that are always breathing fire on your emotional brain and how to tame them, the they, them, and other dragons, how we're always listening to people alive and dead that are still in our head, to our habits, to the scheming dragons. Uh, there's a whole section on the dragon tamer, which is basically how to activate your frontal lobes to calm down your emotional brain. And there's a brand new 12-step program. Uh, the anonymous programs like Alcoholic Anonymous, those 12 steps were developed 85 years ago. And there's no neuroscience to them. They're great. And I've sent people and some people have gotten a lot of benefit and a lot of people have not gotten any benefit. They just couldn't sort of get into it. And I'm like, we need to put neuroscience in here. So there's whole sections. Uh, steps on how to get your brain right, how to get cravings under control, how to make good decisions, um, and how to repair a damaged brain because addictions can damage your brain. So it's loaded. It's fun. Uh, I'm really excited about the book. Well, we're going to put the link below for the folks that want to get it. Go. Uh, uh, we're going to put the link below to either Amazon or Barnes & Noble for you. Go pick up the book. Uh, I can... I watched a bunch of your videos and I said, you know, what a fascinating mind you have. And you got me thinking about that stuff that, you know, I didn't think about before. And I feel I got smarter in the last hour of spending time with you. So having said that, thank you so much for being a guest with us on Valuetainment for the last hour or so minus the technical difficulties. What a joy to be with you. Thank you for helping me spread this word. And um, if people go to yourbrainisalwayslistening.com, they can get some special gifts if they order the book.
Wonderful. We will make sure that link is below. Brains, right? Like if you were to visualize your brain muscle getting bigger and getting cut up and shredded, what would it look like? I thought it was a very unique uh, conversation. Some of the areas, you know, you may have agreed with some, you may have not agreed with, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts, comment uh, below. And if you enjoyed this interview, I did another interview that was more on the heart side, not the brain side, the heart side, who's another very well-known doctor worldwide. If you've not watched a click here to watch the interview. With that being said, thank you so much for watching, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.